What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. Hey everyone, today's main takeaway is you need to strike a balance between beautiful HTML design and sneaking past spam filters in your marketing emails. Do not overload users too early and stick to a small amount of links and images in your early emails to ensure deliverability. All right, everyone, this is part two of three on our marketing uh, email audit. So, you know, whether you're in-house or you're consulting and want to offer email audits as a service, our hope with this series is we can help level up your email game. Uh, Phil is one of the best in the business at email uh, automation and operations, so uh, he's given us some of his playbook as usual, so super excited to dive into this episode. Um, I will say like in the last episode, if you haven't caught it, go back and, and, and listen to that. We cover some research tips and questions you should think uh, before you dive into an audit, thinking really critically about the audience's perspective, connecting that human element so that when you get into the MarTech land, um, you can implement a, a dope audit and, and produce awesome results. So yeah, let's uh, let's dive in, Phil. Awesome. Next week, uh, our last episode of this series is going to cover what email improvements you should be suggesting or kind of experimenting with as part of the the audit. But um, yeah, for for today, there's there's kind of like three crucial things that uh, I want to make sure we cover as, as kind of part of any um, main email audit. And a theme that you'll hear throughout today's episode is kind of timing your emails around your user's mm-hmm. journey, um, like centered on the people in your subscriber list as opposed to selling to early and focusing on the company's timeline or or like selling to users that aren't ready to buy yet. So when when it comes to auditing and marketing emails, like I I like to start um, right at the top and figure out like all the entry points um, that Mm -hmm. users can enter the database. And um, usually like the two entry points start off with the confirmation email and the welcome email. So regardless of what you're auditing, like at the bottom of the funnel, the top of the funnel, starting someone starting in your product or someone downloading like a top of funnel piece of content, um, these will be starting points, uh, starting journey points for for all of your your new users. And yeah, the, the confirmation email and, and the welcome email are highly uh, debated uh, emails in email marketing, right? Yeah, and I love the fact that you start with the confirmation email. And the reason is, is that this one kind of low key flies under most people radars because it's just like an obligatory email oh you signed up boom here you go you know i'll send you an email or even if you're just thinking it from a newsletter perspective like confirm your subscriber status so that you comply with castle or whatever the privacy regulation you're trying to make sure that you don't get into trouble with like but this is your first experience this is this is your first kind of intimate experience with somebody in their inbox and i think this is like you know i beat this drum all the time but the context of this of this is so important and email as a medium your grandma sends you an email, right? Like if you're in your inbox, you, ha- you, you have a degree of personalization and one-to-one communications, or at least that sense of it that you can go with. And so confirmation emails, I think, are require a deft touch. And despite them being very formulaic and operational in many cases, I think that there's a lot here that you can do. So, you know, Phil, I'm curious what you're what you're thinking about on these these confirmation emails and what wisdom you can share. Yeah, for me, the, the confirmation email, the, the main goal with that is like, we want to maximize the chances that this email is going to reach the inbox and like get through spam mm-hmm. filters, especially when we're talking about like um, 
like B2B companies that are trying to target like big companies as customers, like these big companies have very stringent um, behind black door scenes, like uh, email filters, right? And like the, the spam filters sometimes are super sensitive, sometimes they're not, uh, but they're all black boxes and like email marketers can't really predict like whether an email is going to land in an inbox or not for a specific uh, company domain. The, the main goal with everything you're trying to do with a confirmation email is reaching the inbox. Deliverability to me is like the number one goal. Um, and and mm. to do that, we want to keep uh, the confirmation email as short and simple uh, as possible with like a single call to action to confirm your email uh, to get back into the product. We don't want too many emails, too many texts, like too much links. Um, like we need this to land in inbox and get through most spam filters and that's like the primary goal of that confirmation email yeah i think you know there's so much here about getting into people's like getting permission to be in people's inboxes and you know email marketing is uh is it's like an arms race right They're constantly trying to keep on top of how to get into to these these inboxes not getting trapped by spam filters one thing that i always recommend like deep into operations land is uh, setting up things like your DKIM or SPF like on the back end. If you don't know what that is, go talk to your IT team. Make sure that you've got that set up on your email inbox. It's, it's a layer of security that helps verify that you're a safe sender. Um, emails all use it, this and, and respect this. So there's actually some back end stuff that you can do as well to make sure that you're, you're getting through here. Um, but yeah, spam filters are clever. The second they start seeing all this HTML and you know inline CSS, they they get spooked and they say, "Why would you send me this? Why would you send me such a designed email?" <laughs> and and if you've spent more than ten minutes in email design, you know like uh, every single email client renders an email slightly differently. So to have a beautifully designed email that renders in all different clients. You have to write so much custom code. You know, you could be thinking, oh, it's a simple email with a simple design. But but actually, in reality, it's like hundreds of lines of, of, of HTML code that the end user never sees just for you to get like, you know, 50 words of text in front of them. Oh, man. Um, I love that. Like, it's such a balance, like finding beautiful designed HTML emails and, and sneaking past email filters. Uh, something I'll, I'll touch on uh, for the confirmation email that I've experimented with in, in past companies is the sender on uh, that confirmation email. Most companies will have no reply at convertkit.com or no reply uh. at marketo.com, right? And we just uh. touched on the importance of making email human and, and making it seem like it comes personal from, from, a, from a person in the company, right? It doesn't have to be the CEO of the company, but um, I've had tremendous uh, results with having the confirmation email being sent from an actual human email address or the same email address that the rest of the emails are going to be sent from. Um, part of that, like specifically with Gmail that I've found is that like you're training the Gmail filter to include this sender into the inbox filter, right? So like when you're clicking on that confirmation email, which like across SaaS companies has like 80 plus percent open rates and like 70 plus percent click-through rates, the opportunity for you to tell Google that like this is a legit sender and that you should keep like putting emails from this sender in my inbox, the best way of telling Google that is to open the email and to click on it. So when you're sending that email from a no reply at someone, Google is like not able to properly uh, assign that preferential behavior to like the new sender after that. The welcome email maybe comes from like uh, John at ConvertKit.com, right? And so you're you're not like translating those benefits. So that's something I've seen like cool results with. 
Oh yeah, no reply at whatever.com is exactly that. Like, thanks for not caring about me, right? <laughs> and it's even worse when it's like a billing thing. It's like, we have really bad news for you, but don't reply to this email because we don't care about you. We just want your money. And also we can't share where you can actually um, fill a, a question to and reach out to us. Dear user, fuck you. And <laughs> it's it feels like that sometimes. And like the, 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 whole, the whole point of email is like, okay, before marketers ruined it, um, email was used for your grandma or your aunt or you know your mom to send you an email and it was like is like I'm gonna read that email right and then you know everything got ruined because marketing discovered there was revenue to be had but it's still personal right like like have you I'm sure you've got the odd personal email here and there from people like it's it's hard to sift through that and I think like having a name associated with it like it's easy for me to just like look in my inbox and I'm brutal um, and maybe this is like this is this is a bit of a sidebar, but you look at your e email inboxes, and we're in this, the remote working culture where you know people are sharing screens. And I notice this all the time. If people have like ten thousand unopened emails in their inbox, I'm not that bad. I'm somewhere around thirty four hundred. But it's just like <laughs> it's like you know, and I love Strava, but like I've got another unopened email from Strava, or you know, Fitbit has sent me another email. Like I don't give a shit. You have an app. Like I'm going to use your app to, to get the information I need. Like why do I need email too? And I think asking like why are you sending the email? It should it should immediately lead you to who is sending that email. Why does that person want to get in contact with you? And like I, I think this is something like like a subtext around all email marketing and uh, auditing emails is is that we're overloaded with with email communications. Email is totally effective still, but it's got to be like a scalpel, not a not a fire hose. Totally. Let's let's dive into that overloading um, thing with email. So that that was confirmation email. Usually, when someone clicks on that, they confirm their email. Boom! There's like a second email that gets sent out right away as well. Usually, this will be the welcome email, and we actually had a full episode dedicated to really making this email stand out and and make it more personal. You know, everyone expects the welcome email. It is like the most expected email in SaaS history. You sign up for a product, you give your email, you're just like, how long until I see that notification bar at the top saying welcome to X product that I just signed up for? Most companies have a huge fancy HTML template that is sent out with heavy, heavy branding and a bunch of helpful resources and links to get started. You know, I'm sure you've seen a lot of these emails too. I've experimented a lot with just idea of like, hey, the welcome email gets the best open rate of any email across all of our series. So if that's the case and like open rates drop out dramatically after that and users don't open our emails anymore, why don't we use the welcome email as the one source to just like overload users with everything they need to know to get started? It's a common thing that um, SaaS companies will do when they look at the data. They're like, oh, if we if we send like all of our nine CTAs in that welcome email, 80% of people are going to see those nine CTAs. But if we sprinkle them across like nine emails over the next three weeks, like they're going to get like almost no views. Um, but yeah, like maybe we can dive into the danger of, of overloading users too early. Oh man. Yeah. It's stressing me out because I've sent so many of these emails in my career too. I'm like, I owe somebody some apologies. Like the pearly gates, I'm going to have to apologize to somebody for before I get in. Like, these these emails are the bane of people's existence and you know what like this is a funny thing like i feel again i feel like this uh as a marketer 
sometimes we we have the idea the best practice in our head and then and then we go to execution and we're like yeah but i need these 10 links like like one of the classic arguments and i don't want to revisit this too much but like was uh, having a buy button in an email and, and correlating it towards whether like people purchase or yeah. not and i gotta say like if you're buy but if you have a buy button in your email and then people don't buy your product it's not because your buy button in your in your email didn't work <laughs> Because your product didn't work. I hope you have a buying process that works. But like, if you have a down month and then people think, well, the buy button's not big enough in the email. It's like, what do you want me to do? Just send like a giant buy button in, a, in an email? And I think like we run into this problem all the time where like it's it's super link overload. Um, you know, Google picks up on our, the email, email uh, senders all pick up on the number of links being sent in an email. Like it's it's ask it's asking a lot of customers and i think the the whole the whole purpose of email again like this is why i like thinking of it as a brand experience what is what is the brand experience about you want to make sure that you're connecting authentically with people based on who you are as a personality in your brand if your personality as a brand is to send 58 links into every email i mean sure own that brand but i don't think very many of us work for companies that that do want to project that type of brand yeah, definitely not. Uh, wouldn't be on my list of suggestions. Um, but on the topic, like something that lives rent-free in, in my brain when I think of email onboarding is Val Geisler's dinner party strategy. Uh, if you're into email marketing, you've probably heard of this before. She's written about this um, in, in a lot of different spots. Like it's basically like this analogy that uh, when you're onboarding people in your product through email, it's very similar to when you are inviting folks over for a dinner party. Whether it's a backyard barbecue or fancy social event, the evening itself has like many different tracks um, you're welcoming guests as they come into your home. You're taking their coats, introducing them to others. You take their drink order. You show them a seat. Um, there's usually an appetizer round before the main course round. And there's like side dishes and then a final dessert round. And then you like send people off and you invite them to come back, right? Like if... If the welcome email has 10 plus links to tutorials and courses and help articles, it's almost like your guests are arriving to your house for the dinner party. And before you can take their coats off, you shove them in the main course sprinkled with dessert right in their face and you're thanking them and telling them to come back later. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is, this is all comes back to like, Hey, we, we get it as a marketer, we have targets. We have revenue goals, MQL goals, whatever it may be. But if you're a parent, you've learned a less a valuable lesson probably already in your life. But I'll I'll shortcut it in case in case you haven't learned this lesson. People aren't going to do anything you want them to do because you want them to do it. And sending people all of the links and sending them all the CTAs right up front is not a good way to get people to do things that you want, right? And and a lot of marketing and a lot of marketers get into this trap of, you know. We did talk about this in the previous episode, and I think this is super important to unpack this a little bit. Like, if you understand what your wow moments are in your product, does that mean you just like jam it down their throats? No, you have to. You have to understand people's pain points. You know, if somebody's coming to your dinner party and you've invited them, well, understand why they came. Are they your friend? Are they your family? Treat them as such, right? And understand their context. Understand what they want. They're vegetarian. You know, make sure that at the main course you offer them a vegetarian dish or not. And I think so much is missing when you don't understand who are coming. And I love this analogy because there's an intimacy associated with it. And again, email marketing is like deeply intimate from a, from a marketing perspective. And I think we lose sight of this so much. Yeah, I think like something that we, we talked about offline around this like when when you're 
coordinating a lot of your your marketing emails with the product team like in this analogy you're almost like setting the ambiance right like the smell mm -hmm. of food the setting the dress code like email is blending everything kind of into the the decorum but seeing how the product and the email experience kind of all jive together and like sprinkling those aha moments throughout the journey instead of overloading users with links and the welcome email um you know they're the great starting points for for users to to open the next email but there's a lot of different things you want to prioritize uh in in that welcome email so yeah like you've you've written a bunch of welcome emails i'm sure you've experimented a lot with this like in, in your opinion like what what makes a good like welcome email like what would you have as as kind of takeaway tips yeah, I think connecting, establishing a personalized connection. I think this is something that I've seen, you know, span basically all 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 different clients that I've worked with or in house that I've worked with is making and establishing a personal connection right away. I think a welcome email is the one thing I do like about welcome emails is because they become referenceable, right? And if you have like two main points or one main point that you want to say in that email, like. Hey, uh, we know that this is a journey for you getting used to our product. Here's how you can get help, right? Like here's a support center. Uh, here's, you know, here's my contact information if you ever want to get personally uh, set up with this. I think you the best thing to do is long-term setting up, setting up uh, the tone of that conversation with folks and then building upon that. And I think the mistake I see all the time when you try to jive the product email experience is a similar thing you see with like, you know, some some apps when they get their hands on like these product tour uh, uh, pieces of software, right? Like product tours are awesome, but like not everybody wants a product tour. <clears throat> and I think like heavy segmentation or maybe not heavy because it sounds kind of clickbaity, but like having smart segmentation and personalization on that welcome email and understanding the context. Like, you know, if you know somebody is like coming from a convert kit and they're an artist or they're a marketer, those two people are gonna com have completely different context. A marketer is gonna understand instantly what's the value vis-a-vis -vis using a MailChimp. An artist might have got this recommendation personally, may not have any any frame of reference for the other types of tools there. So I think understanding and setting the context is so critical in these welcome emails. Limiting yourself into what you have to say. Pe people don't want to read everything in that first email. They're overwhelmed already with your product. You might, just because of how your email system set up, you might have sent two emails like within 15 minutes anyway. So you got to be super conscious of this. Totally. I love that. Um, last, last thing I'll say on the welcome email is like there, we talked about it a bit, but like for ConvertKit, there's a huge opportunity for them to tell their story instead of just like welcoming folks to the family as kind of like a blanket statement and then sharing a bunch of links. Like when your users are starting uh, their journey with your product, like you can assume that they're also trying your competitors at the same time and so they're getting the same type of emails at the same time like when they're getting the welcome email from you they got like four or five welcome emails from your competitors at the same time so this is like when we talk about email fatigue and like uh, overloading users but like having the opportunity to stand out with email like users are starting an email tool are also 
they're trying a bunch of competitors and they're getting the same emails. So like being different in the welcome email, like talking about the ConvertKit story and sharing like the, the first version of the product and how far it's gone. Like they're an open company. So sharing like numbers and revenue or whatever, like there's such yeah. an opportunity for them to stand out uh, from that crowd. Like one of my favorite welcome emails, they, they've since changed that. Um, but I, I believe it was Wistia. Uh, I, I might have to change that in the notes, but I'm pretty sure Wistia was the one that did this. But they they had this really cool poem in their welcome email. And so like when most users were trying competitors and getting emails saying like, hey, welcome to the family, click here to log in. Like they're getting e an email with like a, a short poem about like Wistia and how it was created. Mm -hmm. And so like the, the email like may not have had a, as much like um, links or whatever to, to get started. But like when you think of what email stood out the most in that inbox and like after three weeks when the person is like ready to buy, which of those uh, companies is going to come to mind the fastest? Yeah. The, the, the other part of this is like the subject line, right? Like even if you don't open the email, like the generic subject line, like you can, you can have a connection right mm -hmm. away if you're, if you're smart with the way that you set things up. Yeah, so maybe the last thing we'll touch on for for this piece of like auditing the emails that uh, we chatted a bit about in, in part one, but I think this is super important in like the core of auditing marketing emails is making sure that you're not selling too early. So early in the journey, we want to use email to nudge users to complete steps in the product and they basically move to moments of delight and they get value from the product. But we don't want to turn off users with email and starting to sell to everyone and sending discount links and big buy now buttons, especially not users that haven't done anything in the product yet is not the right way to use email. The best way to get users to upgrade to a paid plan if you're like on a free user stream is to let them actually try the product and encourage them to go back into the product to reach success. Instead of talking about the benefits of upgrading to a paid plan right away and pushing people to like um, promotions or discounts, you should be telling users how and why ConvertKit, for example, is the best choice. Like talk about those users' stories. We want to be delighting people that are opening the emails and making sure that they're going back into the product and accomplishing those tasks to eventually become activated. And that's when you can start selling to those people. This is called like working on the user's timeline rather than asking them to upgrade right away. Yeah. And I, I think back to the dinner, the, the dinner party analogy and it's like, okay, so like if you're throwing a dinner party and email marketing is the, is the, the dinner party, what's your end goal? And hey, like maybe we've been at a wild dinner party and the end goal is like, ah, yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun. At the end of the night, we're all going to skinny dip in the pool. Well, if you show up to the front door naked, it's it's going to be really off-putting, right? You want to make sure people have like 15 glasses of wine at dinner before they get there. <laughs> and and I use that, I know it's an obscene kind of analogy, but like that's how absurd some of this stuff feels. And, you know, we, we run into these scenarios where we just want people to do the thing they want to do, right? I need you to, to convert to paid so that I can report to my CEO that I have generated revenue and I have been successful. Well, people don't do things that you want them to do just because you want them to do it. It's just not the way life works. Um, and I think this is another, like, another point that I'll make here is like the idea of discounting, right? Like, <laughs> I'm going to discount my product right away. And, and this is something that I've saw like in sales land as well and in email marketing land. And I've done it before in my past, uh, before I, I'd say I learned better, where I say like, well, you know, I could probably convert people again 10% off. 
Like, why are you giving 10% off of your product? Is your product cheaper? Mm-hmm. You know, is it a cheap product? Is it worth instantly offering a discount? Like, a discount should be should be part of the value conversation. It shouldn't be like a one-way communication, right? And, and, I, and I would argue that, like, never give discounts. Like, I'm not a big discounter on, on these things. If you want to give an incentive for, like, a flash sale or something like that to, you know, per, you know generate some buzz or generate some awareness, that's one thing. But, like... I see this all the time in automation emails where like the last one's like, here, buy, you know, get your, get your 10% off. And you're thinking, well, if I would have bought right away, I wouldn't have got 10%. So do I wait? It's like going to, to, have you ever been to like an e-commerce store and then you leave and you abandon the cart and next thing you know, you get 20% off. Like why wouldn't you just give me 20% off right away? And I think it creates a really, really big brand mismatch. And I think even if people don't do the thing that they want you to do, which is buy your product. You want them to still have a positive impression of your product. Mm-hmm. Hey, your product wasn't right for me. Might be right for somebody else I know. And I think we 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 can't burn burn bridges. And I think selling too early and and mindlessly forcing people through user journeys for the benefit of our own, you know, metrics, uh, it, it's bad. It's it, it doesn't lead to good experiences for anybody. Yeah, trying to force discounts to users that like haven't even logged into your product left like uh, like really tricky to do and like the the people that are taking you up on your 30 percent discount after a week like they're most likely going to churn anyways so like mindlessly forcing people through a journey is bad like sharing too many promos and discounts and selling too early is is even worse and um the idea that you need to be everything to everyone is awful too so like uh, part three um that we're going to do next week is uh, specifically on segmentation and how to do behavior-based triggered emails um and how to experiment with with all of those ideas um and you know part one last week we covered what to do before the audit today was a bit more on like at the actual audit itself like what to to look for when it comes to overloading users too much um tips on like the the confirmation email and the welcome email um and yeah we'll uh we'll see you next week when we dive into uh, touching on segmentation and behavior-based stuff so chat soon